Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Stories, the True and the Fictional. As you can tell from the slightly different style of music, this is going to be a slightly different style of episode. It's something we call Story Chat, where we sit down with an author, a filmmaker or any kind of storyteller really, and talk to them about their life and their work in a real fun and laid back way. So sit back, relax, unless you're going for a jog, then run faster. It's story time. Hello and welcome to Stories, the True and the Fictional. If you are new, a big warm welcome. If you are old, thank you for coming back. If you're hey, watching I'm on old, YouTube... man. Don't, don't call me old. Seriously. <laughs> you're always here. That doesn't count. Um, yeah. <laughs> If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe, like, share, do all that jazz and um, drop a comment. We'll give you a shout out too. Um, but today we have a wonderful guest all the way from Florida because we are very against um, interviewing our own people. Um, <laughs> Joe Weaver, how are you, mate? I'm doing good. Great, great. It's great to be here with you guys. Um, what's a, what time is it over there in your side of the world at the moment, Joe? Uh, right now it's 9 p.m. Oh, that's not too bad. We're not keeping you up too late. But but we're uh, but I but except for I'm a day uh, after you. <laughs> I think you guys are a day ahead of me. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're in, it's it's Saturday over here, so I'm guessing it's 9 p.m. Friday night over there. Correct. This is my Excellent. Friday night right now. Well, mm -hmm. thanks for taking the time out of your Friday mm -hmm. night to come and have a chat with us. Mm -hmm. Just for the people that don't know, um, don't know anything about you, just want to tell us who you are. And... Okay, I, I'm a, a memoir and a ghostwriter. I live here in Orlando, Florida, and I've been here for about 24 years or something. And before that, even though my family was originally from the U.S., before that, I used to live in the border between Paraguay and Brazil. So I actually grew up in in South America and lived there most of my life and, and thought I would the rest of the whole life. But 24 years ago, I moved back here to, to Orlando and uh, been here ever since and uh, working here and, uh, and um, started uh, writing my memoirs and uh, got interested in helping other people write theirs. And uh, so that's been my, my line of activity for the last 20 years. Excellent. Not a not a bad way to work for the last twenty years, is it? Yes, it's it's uh it's great, and it uh it got easier now with, with the pandemic. Now everybody is yeah. used to using Zoom and everything like that. Before everybody thought you had to meet face to face, and and uh, you know it was like a requirement you had to sit down together face to face. And now it and now everybody's used to Zoom and and. We, we Zoom with people that are living across the street. I mean, but, uh, <laughs> you don't have to be in Australia on the other side of the road or anything to go to Zoom. 
<laughs> well, believe it or not, I I didn't. Um, I I was at work during the pandemic uh, in the office, so the first time I actually used Zoom was for these interviews. So I've uh, I knew of it. I a lot of a lot of different um, different kind of that, but I think Zoom is the best for it. And I'm, I was saying to Jamie, imagine if this pandemic had happened 15 years earlier, what would we do? There'd be no, none of this technology. Right. You know, right. In, yeah. right. Exactly. Where it would have been. So yeah, um, just so you're saying good point. exactly. No, you're, you're saying so. Currently, you're residing in Florida. Um, mm -hmm. I can tell yeah. by the background. Lots of rope bridges and jungles <laughs> in Florida. I can tell. Yeah, all the mist, the jungle mist, and everything there. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, what we're going to do, um, uh, Joe? We kick this off with all of our guests. We run through a few icebreaker questions just to get to okay. know you, get to know some of your answers, judge you harshly on your answers and that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> all, um, right. all right. So, uh, Jamie, do you want to take the first one? I'm I say as he's having a drink. I will. Um, <laughs> if you could get rid of anything in the world, what would it be, Joe? Uh, golly, I hadn't given that thought. Um, there's so many things that that to get rid of, I guess. I guess belly fat. I think that would be the, the that, that's something that it, like so many times, you know, I, I want to eat something and, and I want to eat some more and everything. And I don't do it because of uh, my belly fat and everything. And I think people would be a lot happier if they just didn't have to worry about that. You know, they could just <laughs> eat. And I'll, look, I'll agree with you right there. But, I, you know, I use mine to keep me warm in winter. So <laughs> I'd have to invest in a few more jackets. But, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> all right yeah. so um name something obviously from reading your book and everything you're, you've quite well traveled around you know mm -hmm. the, some of the most lovely parts in the world but what's something that would be on your bucket list um yeah one thing that uh, there was on my bucket list forever and ever it was to visit the, the grand canyon Mm -hmm. And I did it and it was just, it was everything that I expected to be. It was just so much more. And I, and I definitely recommend it. Um, but I guess on my bucket list, I would like to actually go down in the camp because I just visit from on top, you know, yeah. I would like to actually go down in there. And, and, and that's, that's a larger endeavor than it's not something that you can, it can be done lightly. You know, you have to be, be well prepared. I have to get rid of my belly fat. <laughs> 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 So once I get, you know, the first thing done, you know, then I can do the, the second one, I guess. Well, I have to go fun. down there, yeah, spend spend some time there, like, you know, a week, maybe. Well, you'd oh, probably nice. lose some belly fat if you went in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have to worry about it. I just go down with my belly fat and then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be gone by the time I come back out, right? All right. As, as I'm moving on to one, as, as one of living in one of the countries that produce probably the most sitcoms ever, which in your opinion would be the greatest one made? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well done. And, that, that's my new favorite show. <laughs> and, oh. and, and now I'll tell you something else. I have never watched an episode of it. <laughs> Actually, I have never, I mean, this is going to sound weird to you, but I have never watched a, uh, in the last 30 years, I haven't watched a sitcom at all. I mean, it's just, I, don't, I really don't know why, because when I do watch a movie or something, I usually enjoy it, but I just don't watch TV or, or sitcoms or anything. But 
I knew that both of you are big fans of this. Oh. <laughs> so I <laughs> said, you, you know, let me suck up to the host a bit there. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> Katie, so Katie we're not the only ones doing. We're there. not the only ones doing research. Turns out, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Uh, well, look, if you ever do decide to sit down and watch one, that's a good one to start with. I, I think so. I mean, I know enough about my, my plot. Like uh, uh, my son was telling me about it, you know, and everything. I, I like liked the idea and everything like that and how he conquered, you know, people with his heart and everything and his motivational. Yeah, so I, I like, I like. I mean, if I'm ever going to start, I, I'll start with that one. <laughs> well, there you well, Okay, let me let me pivot off that question. So what do you like to, to watch to unwind? Do you Are you more of a documentary kind of guy or... Do you just will you just throw on an old movie, a favorite, or something like that? I guess um, I, I'm a, a big fan of uh, uh, National Public Radio here, which has a lot of like uh, in-depth articles and stuff like that. And and so uh, th th that's what I consume more. You know the the, the programs from from that. Mm -hmm. Okay, no, that's good. Mm -hmm. I like it. I, I just like thought it. I'd ask because you know <laughs> we all have something that we do to unwind, and obviously being an author yourself. Mm -hmm. you know maybe you, there's something in particular that you like to do mm -hmm. okay yeah. next one's a big one tell us about your zombie apocalypse plan well as you already mentioned i live in florida so this yeah. is something that you know when other people talk about zombie apocalypse they they, they talk about something like in the future that might happen mm -hmm. whereas living here in florida i kind of think it may have already started because i mean here we have just like the weirdest things that happen so but uh here we have to always be kind of prepared for disaster anyway because we got hurricanes yeah. we got tornadoes we got we got alligators we got you know so basically everything we do we have to be doing already i mean pretty much everybody everybody i know they we already have kind of like our our uh, little survival kit and everything like that because you have to be prepared that you you know that because of weather stuff you might lose yeah. you know lights and everything and so yeah so we're, we're kind of prepared already you know we're, we, we've been ahead of the curve on that one <laughs> when it breaks out we're, <laughs> we're we're ready no excellent we we do something like that um some of the northern uh queensland where where they do get cyclones and stuff like that you know they a lot of people there will have their what they call their go bag which uh -huh, is right, you know, yeah. something that they always keep relatively close to the door or to an exit to the house where they'll just pick it up and it's got mm -hmm. enough things for you to to take into that you can live with for a little bit, you know, and, and important things like photos and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's always yeah, good to be prepared. We have like I don't know about a hundred gallons of water stored and yeah. you know all kinds of different things. That's so uh, bring it on. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, last question. Last question. Elon okay. Musk calls you up and offers you to test drive his new electric time machine. What do you do and where do you go? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, everybody, normally when you think about time travel, for some reason, people always think about going to the past. I mean, that's what comes to mind first. They're going to go to the past. Yeah. I always thought, I, I think the future would be a lot more interesting than, than the past. But then when you, when you have to decide when to, you kind of don't want to go too far because you don't want it to get, I mean, you don't, yeah. the problem is that you don't know what you're going to find. You, you know, it's like, you know, if you go a hundred years, you know, like, you know it, it's just going to be too different i mean you know in 500 years you just out of the question you know so yes. but then if you want to play it safe and just go 20 years then then what's the point you know so it's kind of like well, you, uh, you can get all the lotto numbers and then go back and 
<laughs> I guess that would, that would be the, the best thing. You know, the, the other thing is that, you know, it's a, for, if it's a test drive, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> so it, it means yes. you haven't been tested before. Like, is exactly. it like, uh, are you sure it can return? Is it just, you know, like, that's <laughs> so no, no, no one said that. that. No one has said that. And that I've been waiting for someone to say that. It's yeah, a test you know, drive. Like, <laughs> right yeah. you know it's like yeah because you know uh especially if i'm going to go back to the past for some periods i wouldn't be able to survive there you know very much you know i guess i would have to go to a period that i'm familiar with enough so that i can like be a futurologist and start telling people what's going to happen and uh <laughs> ah you'll become a prophet <laughs> yeah you know start my own cult and everything that, that might be fun. <laughs> that's the way that's it look you got it you got it all planned out you'll be fine oh <laughs> uh, great answers but see look I've, I've been waiting for someone to say Hold on, maybe I don't want to take that risk because it is a test drive. No one else has said that. Everyone else, yeah, exactly. Said, like, well, I want to go. You, yeah. Are you coming along, or are you going to wait here? You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Excellent answers. Excellent answers. Oh, I love it. Excellent. All right. What do you say we dive into the reason you are here? Talk about your work and all the the books you're doing. Um, let's kick it off with your wonderfully titled. Um, Gorillas with machine guns, I must say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, you just want to tell us what it's about. Okay. In 1967, uh, I mean, you can, we were talking about the past. I mean, people can imagine what 1967 was like. My family, my father decided to make a trip from the US all the way to Paraguay in South America in a Volkswagen van. And that was obviously, there was no GPS or anything like that, you know, cell phone. And a lot of the, the parts didn't have like reliable roadmaps. And it was, uh, it was obviously quite an adventure. And uh, we, we, obviously my father prepared, you know, well for that. He was, I mean, he was, it was my parents and uh, six children, you know, I was, I was eight years old at, at the time. And uh, we all went, you know, my oldest sister was 18 at the time. And then I had a, a younger sister than me who was five and then all between, and our French poodle. And we did this uh, 12,000 kilometer journey. It took us three months. And it was, as you could imagine, a lot of adventures and a lot of stuff that is just, obviously uh, wouldn't happen today, you know. But one of the things that happened was that we avoided going through uh, Colombia because that's where there was a go like guerrilla warfare going on. And so we circumvented uh, Colombia. We had to circumvent, uh, th there's the, the thing called the Darien Gap, there, which up until now, there's a, there's a you know, uh, North America and South America still aren't connected. There's a hundred kilometer gap that up until now there's not roads. I mean, back then, you know, it was also, so from the Panama Canal, we got on a boat, but then we went past Colombia and, and went to Peru so that we could circumvent where there was like the guerrilla warfare going on. But as we were driving through Bolivia, almost making it to Paraguay, it turns out that Che Guevara, had already left Colombia and was in Bolivia when we were driving through there, you know. Oh. But of course, back then, you know, there was 
no internet, of course, and, 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 yeah. and communications. I mean, even communication anywhere in the world were, were a lot slower, but, you know, in rural Bolivia in 1967, it was more so. Yeah. But we started, you know, there were basically going by rumors and everything. And we were stopped at a, uh, we, we were stopped by a, uh, a military checkpoint where we got there and, and, you know, all the soldiers were pointing rifles at us and everything. And then uh, the officer came and, you know, saw my father was, you know, an American and he spoke English. And so they, they started talking and everything. And, and that's the thing that when people, a lot of times, uh, people in Latin America, they, they, they let, who speak a little bit of English, they love to practice their English. So when they find somebody that speaks a little bit of English, you know, they love yeah. to practice and everything. So I started speaking in, in, uh, with my dad in, in English, even though my dad spoke Spanish uh, also. But um, he started talking and then he, in the middle of the conversation, he warns me and says, you know, have to watch out for the gorillas. You know, there's bands of gorillas in the, you know, they come down, uh, bands of gorillas with machine guns coming down from the mountains, you know. And uh, I overheard that and I didn't know what a gorilla was. So I thought it was a gorilla, like the animal. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, gorillas with and with machine guns. I mean, not just regular, I mean, a regular gorillas already <laughs> young enough, you know, but bands of gorillas with machine guns. So it's like, that's, that's about as scary as it, it, it can get. Um, and so after, you know, we, we left that checkpoint and we were driving along and me and my sister were talking about that. He says, like, what happens if the gorillas stop us? You know, <laughs> like, and so I asked my dad, I said, uh, dad, are there gorillas <laughs> out here? You know, uh, <laughs> and he says, well, nah, son, nothing you need to worry about. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> So I didn't worry about it anymore. I mean, we, we still kept looking for the gorillas, you know, but as a eight-year-old kid, I was no longer worried. My dad said, oh, you know, nothing I had to worry about, but I still kept looking, trying to find the gorillas with machine guns, you know. Like, it's such a, it's, I, that's what I love about the title of the book, because it's, it's such, it is, you, you said you were eight at the time, yeah? Uh-huh, correct. Yeah, so it's such a kid thing to think, like if I'd heard the same thing when I was eight years old, I'd be looking for, you know, big burly gorillas <laughs> strapped to the gat with machine guns. I mean, it's, it's, I love that. I love how you've kept that, you know, uh -huh. in the title of the book, because, you know, I, I, cause I, I honestly, when, when Jamie told me about the interview and I got the book on Kindle Unlimited, I'm like, is this like a sci-fi or something? And, he, and we, as you read through it, you explain, it's a, a brilliant way to title the book. I love it. Absolutely yeah. Love it. yeah. And, and one thing that I, uh, did, I, I thought was really cool that I did in that book was I wrote it. You know, there was eight of us in the van, and I wrote it from each point of view. So each yeah. chapter will be from one point of view. So I have, the, you know, my dad, you know, him telling the story when he's talking to the officer, and then I have my version talking to my sister, you know. And so you see each person's point of view yeah. throughout yeah. the thing, you know. And you know, and so it's it's like you get the perspective of you know from from a five year old kid up until, uh, you know, then, to my dad's point of view, you know, everybody telling the story, you know, as, as they saw it. And because after, you know, when I, as I was writing it, and I was researching and talking it with my siblings, you know, there, there are six of us, uh, each one of us has a different version on, <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> on, on the story. You know, it's, it's like as if there were six different 
journeys, you know. I mean, I think that's a good way. You don't see many books like that. It was a really good way to write the book Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously I noticed that when I started reading it. You know, you've got you've got essentially sections of the chapters. You know, Mm -hmm. we could be talking with your sister or your brother or your father, and then you. I think that's a really good way to write it because you can Mm -hmm. see how different the perspectives are from your father and yours. Mm-hmm. you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other. I think that's a really good way to set it all out. And I was going to ask, my next question was, you know, did you, you know, start to consult with siblings recently just before you wrote it, just to see what they remembered and and, and things like that? Correct. Yeah, I, I uh, exactly. I, I got their, uh, you know, I tried to get their, their their stories as much, you know, have them tell their version and everything. And yeah. then I would tell it uh, how... Uh, uh, you know how they, they they told it to me, and it was, it was interesting how um, there were they were so it was so different. It was like totally like my two older sister, you know, uh, one of them was you know one was seventeen, one was eighteen, so they're you know practically the same age, and one of them thought it was so fun and so exciting and doing having so much fun and the other one was like oh what a drag you know here we are stuck with my little siblings and everything like that you know when is this going to be over <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> you know and everything and it's like it, it was uh they, they just remembered it in so uh, in some different uh, points you know they the the facts are the same but but the the perspective is just totally different you know um, yeah I, I really like that about it excellent um, so yeah, so the obviously you've mentioned down, um, you know, obviously the research with your siblings. What mm-hmm. other kind of research did you have to do for this book? I mean, obviously it was an event that occurred quite a while ago, you know, 30, 35, 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, what what other kinds of research did you have to do? Um, basically, I, I started researching a lot about uh, because there's so many things, like especially like the, like the details that I. That I wanted to include that I forgot, and for example, like about the the Panama Canal, you know, I did a lot of research. I mean, that's just a fascinating, and I had to cut so much out of it out because it was just I didn't want to have a treaty on the treaties on the Panama Canal, but it was just so fascinating to be able to study about all the, you know, I wanted to include about the locks and how it was built and everything like that, um, and you know, the the thing about the foods that we encountered and, and I was researching all the different locations and the different places that we, we stopped at. And it was uh, something really interesting. There was a, a picture that I had that uh, with, uh, with one of the, the, the men that we, uh, what, there was a man that we encountered on the boat who was hitting on my older sister, <laughs> you know, <laughs> But, uh, you know, he, uh, it was very interesting. He, uh, Corte, you know, and uh, he was, you know, uh, he was, my sister was very cute and everything. He was, you know, uh, trying to woo her. But he was on the boat with us when we were on the boat for like, I'm not sure how long, but at least a week. And he lived in, in Bolivia. And so, but when we got there, he was, we went by another path. I'm not sure. But he says, you know, hey, when you, come through my town in Bolivia, stop by to see me. I'm going to, you know, receive you guys and everything. And so we did. We, we stopped by uh, uh, the, the thing. But I couldn't remember. Nobody could remember exactly what town it was. And we, we my sister remembered it as being one town. And so I, I, I wrote the book writing that it was in Cochabamba mm-hmm. because that's what 
it seemed to me like I was figured out when I was trying to retrace our, our route, it made sense that we would have gone through Cochabamba. And so it sounded like there was, from what I heard, it was Cochabamba. And once here in Orlando, which of course is a magnet for tourism, mm -hmm. I ran into, I was, I was speaking with some, with some tourists from Bolivia and I asked them, I, where, where are you guys from? In, you know, and I was hoping he'd say Cochabamba, you know, and he said, oh, I'm from Sucre. And I said, oh, okay. I said, you know, people in, in Cochabamba, but I was trying to see if, it, if, if by chance I could, I could find out about this guy that, yeah. you know, we had this picture was 50, you know, from 50 years back. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, yeah, I know some people there. You know why? And I says, well, yeah, I got this photo here, you know, and I, I'm trying to identify the people here. And when he looked at it right away, he says, no, that's not Cochabamba, that's Sucre. That's where I'm from. <laughs> he says, I know where this is. You know, look at that Indian, there's, look, look, look at his clothes, you know, the, 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 you know, this tribe is only right there in Sucre. There's no other place where they were this. And right there, and in the background, that's the statue, that's Jose Martin. And, and he told me the whole, you know, he described the whole, the whole plaza. So, wow. And I said, wow. And uh, I said, I wonder if you can, uh, we can find out who this guy here is. He starts looking at the guy, he says, you know, this guy looks familiar. I said, now, of course, you know, he looks familiar, but this picture's from 50 years ago. And the guy was on, the guy was about 50 himself, you know, so obviously, you know, you didn't. <laughs> uh, and he says, well, let me research it for you. And he starts researching it. He sends, you know, I, I give him a copy of the picture and he sends it by WhatsApp to, to his connections over there. And within two hours, he, he calls me and he says, I know who that guy is. He's a cousin of mine. <laughs> he's a cousin of my, of my wife's. He says, he's, you know, it's like, and he oh, wow. his, his name, he says, and everything. And uh, I go, wow. And, and you know, and they, he, they told me the whole story of the plaza and everything. Uh, he sent me another picture taken from that same spot. I asked him when he, when he went back to Bolivia to take a picture from that same spot. And he, and he sent me the picture, you know, because the statue that was in the background is still there. The bench is still there. The only difference is like the trees are a lot bigger and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got in touch with, with the guy from, from this picture, you know, and to confirm that it was really him. When I started talking to him, I told him who I was and everything. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. What about your sister? Where, where's your sister? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I said, cool. okay, yeah, this is this is the same guy, all right. <laughs> That's cool. So, like, it, it, it's really, really interesting when things like that happen, you know, just out of pure coincidence. Yeah. And you're mm -hmm. able to connect that and, and put that into your book as well. That's mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So as, as an eight-year-old traveling on a three-month, you know, journey that I can't imagine anyone else at, you know, that age doing, um, what, what was your most, most vivid memory of the, the whole thing? Uh, Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Even though I was a child, you know, and everything, it was like, and the thing is that back in 1967, Machu Picchu wasn't well known. It wasn't a... Uh, it was uh, very remote. It was, I mean, today, you know, they have to limit the amount of people that that go up there. Whereas when we went up there, we were the only ones there, you know, and there was like, <laughs> yeah. there wasn't even a guide. I mean, like there was a guy that took us, you know, up to there, but then, you know, there wasn't, I mean, it was like just totally different, you know? And I remember just, we were kids back then. I mean, and, and this is actually, I mean, not good. Good that 
I mean, we were able to climb on all these, you know, archaeological pieces and everything like that. We were, I mean, for us, for kids, it was just a playground, you know, it was like a, a huge uh, uh, place. There's this place called, uh, I mean, so many places like that. We were just playing on top of, of, of these, these sites as if, I mean, now I look at the pictures, I kind of cringe. I said, oh man, it's like, you know, this, this shouldn't be allowed. We shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah. You know? But uh, that was, uh, of all the places, that was just, I, I think for, for all of us, it was, it just really, I mean, it's just really uh, stuck, you know? And that's a place that I think that should be on everybody's bucket list, yeah. along with the Grand Canyon and everything, Machu Picchu, I think is a, really a place that's just, it's uh, out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. No, that's, it's beautiful, beautiful country over there. Now, um, on, on that, have you been back since? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, okay. My my sons have, have all been been there. You know, they all you know. I love it. Following in the footsteps, they all been there, but no, I haven't been back there. Oh, well, maybe once COVID's over and things you know settle <laughs> down a little bit, it does make it a bit difficult. But um, yeah, I just thought I'd ask that. Um, obviously, you know, it, it was uh, it was a it was a great journey for you to experience when you were so young. But tell us about. The, the the contrasts of environment you know between the desert and the jungle and obviously all the different kind of environment that you would have gone through on that trip yeah and it was like we were i mean we went uh you know the gamut uh because we left uh in the the summer in in north america and when we went through you know uh northern mexico and everything it was in in the in the summer and then we got there was still winter in, you know, in South America and when we were going through the Andes and everything. So it was, you know, we, and that's the thing that my parents, they had to plan everything. It was my mother that actually had to did all the planning to be able to pack everything because we didn't know what, what would be available along the route. So we, yeah. she tried to plan that we would buy. I mean, of course we we're going to be buying food and, and, and water and stuff, but everything else you know we took you know like tents and cots and mattress uh air mattresses and just everything you know to be able to uh to to be able to make sure that, that we did the whole trip you know without any uh issues it was um but the the main thing that sticks in everybody's mind one of the things that that uh that uh all our siblings remember is how well we were received and treated by everybody everywhere we went, you know? It's like, of course we were a curiosity. I mean, when people, you know, like sometimes we were going through this small village and everybody would run out and they were like, yeah, yeah. to see us, you know, wanted to touch us and see yeah. what we we're all about, you know, and everything. But it was like, and it was just the, uh, how well, I mean, you know, people were, were saying, hey, you know, uh, come over to my house and visit me. Let's go have lunch. And we said, well, actually, we got a trip. To, we got, you know, <laughs> we're on a journey. You know, we're on a mission. Oh, wow. here. But uh, but people, you know, wanting to for us to stay, you know, and everything. And uh, and and we were just so well received by in in every single country that that we that we went through. It was uh, like I said, because especially in the more remote areas. I guess the more remote, you know, the more people are pleased to have you know visitors mm. oh that would have been really good it's, it's 
you know, it, it's always nice when you're going to say, when you're going somewhere where you've never been before and, you know, you can make those memories and meet people. And I mean, I think the best thing about trips like these are the not only the beautiful, you know, landmarks and places you visit, but the people that you meet and mm-hmm. you get to know. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. Yes, and it was it was just such a wide array of of characters that that we that that we met and and then that helped us out, you know, in different different points of uh, of the journey, you know, that uh, you know, made it possible because you know there were you know things, you know, problems that arose and uh, that made it hard. You know. But uh, yeah, we we received a lot of help from from a lot of people, and uh, it was great. It was. Uh, uh, quite a memorable trip mm-hmm. no, it would have been oh, i'm sure I, I can i could talk about it all, all day but um why don't yeah. we give the listeners um a little bit of uh preview into what is about to be released you've got another book called mm-hmm. seven shades of gold mm-hmm. um, yes um go ahead you're gonna say something about it yeah the, the seven shades of gold it's and it's a memoir that's basically just concentrated on one day in uh, it was it, it, 20 years ago, no, 30 years ago. Let me see. Yeah, 30 years. <laughs> I lose track. Um, my family had a had a still has a property in Paraguay, mm-hmm. and right about then there was uh, started to be uh, stealth intruders who would come in and they, basically they would plant marijuana on on people's land. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just on our land, but it was in other, yeah. uh, other places and everything. And then there's, uh, there's the, basically, uh, they were, you know, they would do it on other people's property so they could, you know, uh, evade any kind of responsibility and everything. Mm-hmm. And there was pressure from, from the Paraguayan government because basically if you're, if you own a property and there's marijuana growing on your property, then that makes you <laughs> the, the, the marijuana grower. And it was, you know, it was very, you know, it was a serious offense, you know, that was, you know, it. Yeah. Um, and so we, we had to, basically, we were caught between the people who were growing the marijuana and the Paraguayan government, which, was being was under pressure from the U.S. government because of the uh, the, the international world uh, drug on wars that you know wanted to felt that it could uh, eliminate all all the drugs, mm. and so the Paraguayan government was caught between these forces, and so they put the pressure on the property owners, and so basically uh, we were caught there in the middle and. I started to to use the the, the title. I, I I was calling myself an involunteer because I, <laughs> I didn't volunteer for for that. But we were we were kind of like we were forced to to volunteer to to take part in, in this. Um, uh, and basically, we had to uh, along with 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 the with this special task force, we, we uh, had to conduct raids on. On, on our property, you know, for against these um, these these marijuana fields, and um, so so this just tells the story of of, of one day. It was just uh, what happened on that one day, 
and uh, it's and it, it shows you know it shows you the the human side of I mean there are so many forces involved there was the the agents you know there was the informants you know what the drug informants there was the people planning it who were just some poor I mean you know there 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 are large vicious mean cartels but the people that are out there actually in the field planning they're just some smugs you know who you know are, are trying to make a a, a living you know mm -hmm. and it is it was just a no win situation for everybody involved you know it was just it was just you know uh just sad all around and one of the uh <laughs> when i was writing it there's there times that you know i had to i was thinking how to write it and everything and my my son as one of my sons asked me what part was the most memorable part of of that day and i said it sounds silly but the most memorable part of that, that day was one of the drug informants eating the food <laughs> that he found from from from, from that that the, the the you know that, that he he took from from the uh the guys that were planting the, the marijuana there you know and he was eating <laughs> there and he was eating with the uh and there was a guy there in the hang goes right there doing everything and you know that guy's eating you know he's eating his food and says man this this tastes horrible I says who made it he says oh i did he says well, why didn't you put some spice in it you know come on you know, <laughs> it, you know it's like what what's wrong with you you know and uh, and like and he starts to just have this humane conversation about spices and food and how to cook food and then family and everything and then you know shares the beans with the guy in there so that you know he won't be hungry and just, it was just like few minutes before or maybe an hour earlier the guy had actually shot at us you know shot at this guy's brother and missed fortunately but like just an hour earlier you know yeah. there they, they were shots fired and and this guy you know he could have been killed or he could have killed uh one of us and now you know they're just eating there and and talking about food and, and recipes <laughs> and everything it was like mm. it was just Kind of, I mean, it wasn't what I expected, you know. No, not at all. It's kind, it's kind of like you could really tell it's just business. You know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, no hard feelings. It's just <laughs> yeah. It's dinner time. You can sit down and have a chat, and then maybe after dinner we'll try and shoot you again. So you never know. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, when when is that coming out, um, Joe? Uh, March twenty sixth. Okay, so not too long because I, I definitely want to grab that one. That's. You know, oh, right. I, I like those kind of stories, so I want to have a read of that. So March 26, and where where can people get it? Obviously on Amazon, but can oh, Amazon uh -huh. that and, and your, uh, your other books? Uh huh. Yeah, and on the what on when I launch it, uh, I'm going to have a, a little launch event, and when I do launch it, then the, your listeners and everything, they'll be able to get a free uh, Kindle version of of the the book. Oh, cool. uh, um, it'll be also on Kindle Unlimited, so people that have you know the Kindle Unlimited to be able to read it. But if yep. they don't, you know, uh, they can download the the free Kindle version uh, on on that day on on twenty on March twenty sixth. I'll uh, I'll be sharing with you guys a uh, a link, you know, for the it'll be a, a, a launch to be done via Zoom, just like like this meeting right here. You know, mm -hmm. excellent. No, I'm yeah. really really looking forward to that. I'll be definitely checking that out. And are you on social media? 
Joe? Like what? Mm-hmm. Yes. Where can um, we find? Where can people find you on social media? Um, and the the best uh, place is uh, my website is uh, thewordweaver.me, and then dot mm-hmm. me at the end. So thewordweaver.me. So yep. um, my last name is Weaver, and so I just kind of adopted that. Uh, <laughs> I thought it'd be a good connection of the word weaver and you know, oh, I like it. Word, huh? I like it. We'll put a link to that in the um in the oh, show notes and on the video as well, so that our listeners can jump on and support mm-hmm. you as best they can. And now I'm really looking forward to checking out the seven shades of gold once it comes out on 26 of March. And uh, just just before we wrap up, do you want to um give some advice to mm-hmm. some of our listeners that may be thinking about writing um their own memoirs? Uh do it. That, that, that's that's my my main advice is do it. I mean, so many people talk about, oh, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a book, everything. And people need to do it. I mean, everybody has a story inside of them. Everybody, um, you know, maybe you didn't do a 12,000 kilometer journey, you know, but everybody has had, you know, they're have had experiences that are unique that, mm-hmm. um that are definitely going to be of interest to to their descendants you know that they're going to have your your kids your grandchildren they're going to want to know what your daily life was like i said it doesn't matter if if you didn't if it doesn't appear to be something exciting i mean just think if you had i mean very few some people do but very few of us have like an accounting of uh what our great-grandparents their daily life was like you know Mm. like you know if we just if if you know if your great grandparent had read a memoir, it wouldn't matter if it if it just told you how he made his breakfast and and what his day at work was like, you know what he was doing and everything. It would have it would have been fascinating uh, reading to to have that, you know. And um, there's so many stories that we don't appreciate that are that are you know lost forever, mm-hmm. and. People just have to do it like like this this uh, my my the book about you know the gorillas with machine guns. As I was growing up, none of us wrote down any of the stories. We have no records of anything, and we didn't see the need for it because everybody knew the story already. Yeah. There's no yeah. need, you know. And, and so that, that's the way people feel, you know. Like if if with with your daily life says, well, you know, everybody already knows that. Everybody knows that. It's like what's the point? But you know, 50 years from now, people aren't going to know, you know, we're going to be dead. And, and a lot of the stories are going to be died. Just like when, when our parents, you know, uh, I don't know if your parents are alive. I mean, my parents are dead. So many stories died with them because I didn't ask them about it. You know, I mean, fortunately, a lot of the stories I did ask about, or they told without being prompted sometimes, but there's so, so many more that, that we don't know. And there's so many things that I, that I found out uh, about, like for example, my, my father's activity in the war. But my father was in in uh, uh, World War II, and um, a lot of it I found out, you know, by uh, reading accounts from people that were there with him. Oh you wow! Know, that, that that he didn't uh, that that he he never talked about, and I never for I don't know why I never asked him. I, I was interested every once in a while if he did mention something. I was very interested in 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 hearing about it. But for some reason, I never never occurred to me to just actually ask him, "Hey, tell me about it." You know? Yeah. And uh, and, and we don't do that. So if you do have older relatives, if you're lucky to have them, 
ask them about it. Ask them about their experiences, you know, and record it and take it down and ask them, like I said, let them talk about the mundane. It doesn't have to be heroic. It can be just, you know, your everyday slot. It's, uh, it, I would I would recommend everybody do that, and and I have some tips on how to start, you know. And like I said, uh, your listeners, if they check out my website, thewordweaver.me, there are some tips there, and they can reach out to me. They can email me, and I'll be glad to to give them some tips, help them. people that are. I, what I've been doing a lot lately is I've been helping people that are already writing. So people that are writing their memoirs, but are having trouble completing it or making it interesting. That's yeah. the thing that the memoirs they have to be written in. The, in an interesting manner, you know, yeah. you don't want it to be just boring, you know. And and there's, it it, it just it, you just need to employ the same techniques of good storytelling, you know, to be able to tell the story in a in a fun and interesting way. You know? So that's what I, I that's the main thing that I hope that the takeaway from this interview for your listeners are to to start writing their memoirs, start interviewing their older relatives, start writing down their stories. And uh, if if they don't know how to start, or if they already started and they need help, you know, uh, progressing more, then just reach out to me. And I'd be glad to talk to. Them. Excellent. Well, I'm sure some of our listeners will take you up on that advice. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Joe, for joining us for this story chat. And um, yeah, we'll definitely, hopefully, maybe get you on a little bit after the new book's released and talk about that as well. Okay. Well, great. Well, great. Well, this this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. No, you're very welcome. Thanks for taking the time out of your Friday night to come and have a chat with us. All right. All right. And for all you listeners out there, um, like, subscribe, share. If you can support us on buymeacoffee.com slash S-T-T-A-T-F. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. See you next time. for listening to today's episode if you'd like to support stories the true and the fictional you can do so by heading on over to buymeacoffee.com slash s-t-t-a-t-f that's the acronym for stories the true and the fictional there you can do a one-time donation or sign up for a monthly membership whatever you're comfortable with with your support we can keep this show up and running and bring you the awesome content we do every week so if you can, head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash S-T-T-A-T-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Stories, the True and the Fictional.